You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. You guys doing well? Man, brave the roads this morning. My kids got up at 6.45. When I got the text from one of our elders, Troy, last night, I was like, yes, I'm going to be able to sleep in. We're going to get up and have coffee. We're going to eat breakfast. My wife and I are going to snuggle. We're going to relax. 6.45, I hear, dada? Dada? Nonetheless, man, that verse in Psalms, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was ready to go. <laughs> it was a long morning. Well, well, once again, welcome to Radiant Church. Uh, thanks for braving the weather today to be here. If you're watching online, we want to say a special welcome to you. My name is Adam, and uh, it's a pleasure to be up here today. We've been in a series called Seek, and I always love this time of year when we do that series. Uh, how many of you enjoyed the Seek series? We've had worship and prayer nights every week. It's been really, really good. And I think it's such a good time of year to have it because we kind of slug our way through the holidays, don't we? We're eating terrible. We have no habits. We're just kind of drifting from one party to the next. And then by the time January hits, we're ready for a change, aren't we? And so the Seek series comes, and our hearts are ready to receive something different. We're ready for a change. And so we just wrapped that up last week, and this week I'm going to kind of piggyback off the Seek series a little bit and talk to you about why the Word of God should matter in your life. Um, now, anybody remember that old hymn, Come Thou Fount? What's that verse? Prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now, the second half of that verse is really nice, right? Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. But what's the first part of that verse say? Prone to wander. Would you agree that mankind, we are prone to wander? We are prone to wander. In fact, the Bible talks about this all the way in the Old Testament through the New Testament. Listen to Isaiah 53. You're not going to see these verses. I just have them here, but just listen. All we like sheep have gone astray. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short. Matthew 26.40-42, this is Jesus talking to Peter and the disciples. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 7.15, Paul is exasperated with himself. He says, uh, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Anybody ever feel that way? He continues in verse 21 through 25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I delight in the word of God. But I see another work law at work in me, waging war against me, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject 
to death. Whew. Anybody ever felt that kind of inconsistency? Man, I feel that all the time. All the time. And so that's why I am so thankful for the Seek series, because this time of year, I am ready for a change. Amen? We are ready for something different. I love that song we just sang. Uh, we need a fresh wind. We need that right now. So today, it's going to be a very practical message, okay? I'm going to just simply ask three questions and try to answer them. The first question, what is the Word of God? What is the Word of God? We're going to answer that. Number two, how important should it be in relation to my life? And finally, number three, how do I apply it? A very practical message this morning. So if you would do this, why don't you bow your head with me and let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for that song that we just sang. We need a fresh wind. We need the fragrance of heaven in our life. So Lord, just simply teach us to be more like you. Teach us to revere your word. Teach us what it means to be in your word and of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so what is the word of God? Well, in Scripture, especially sections like Psalms, we often see it referred to as your word. We see this reference, Psalm 119, verse 105. Raise your hand if you know this verse. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Some of you grew up and you remember the old King James Version. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I looked at seven different Bible translations of that verse, and they, most of them say, your word, your word, or thy word. The message version says, by your words, I can see where I'm going. So, Scripture tells us actually what it is, what the word of God is. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. See, we see, sometimes we see a couple connotations of the word being expressed. There's the word, who is Jesus, and then there is your word, which is the word of God, the inspired words of God. So, my first question is, what is the word of God? Well, the word of God is substance. Okay, what do I mean by that? The Word of God is a tangible thing. Okay, you can hold it in your hand, the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. Now, substance, that word, according to dictionary.com, is that of which consists in a physical manner. Okay, and we know that since the Bible is the Word of God, it's a substance, but it's also inspired by God himself. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is God-breathed. Say that with me. All scripture is God-breathed. Okay, it's God-breathed. The Greek word used there in verse 16 is theopneustos, which literally means God-breathed. Now, if I put my skeptic hat on, 
for just a moment, I could ask this question. Well, how could something testify about itself, right? I could tell you I'm the best basketball player in the world, but that doesn't mean I'm a good basketball player. Let's say I moved across the country and I met people I didn't even know. Couldn't I just tell them I was a great athlete when, in fact, that's a lie? So how can something testify about itself? In fact, let, let me get a little more skeptical. There are five major world religions out there, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. They each have a sacred text. In Christianity, it's the Bible. In Islam, it's the Quran. In Judaism, it's the Torah. In Hinduism, they have the Vedas and the Upanishads. And in Buddhism, they have the Sutras. So how do I know that the Bible isn't just a cleverly written story? Well, 2 Peter 1.16. This is Peter talking, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when you, we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. You see, the word of God testifies about itself, but people have also been eyewitnesses to his majesty, to things happening. So, again, you might be saying to yourself, well, you just quoted scripture. So it testified about itself. Well, if we look at it from just a historian's point of view, this is what we see. The Bible is 66 books. It's written by different authors over almost a 1,500 to 2,000 year period. In contrast, the Quran was believed to have been written by one person, Muhammad, and it largely speaks in the first person. The Bible is God speaking direct words but also God speaking through a wide range of people and personalities. Furthermore, there's a large number of Old Testament prophecies that have come true. And the Bible, that alone shows us that the Bible has to be, logically speaking, divinely inspired. It has to be. I love this quote from the Moody Bible Institute. Check this out. They, they say this about the Bible. The Bible is unique because it is God's revelation recorded in human language. God, through the Holy Spirit, used human authors to write what he revealed in the Bible. They were not mere copyists or transcribers. The Holy Spirit guided and controlled the writers of Scripture who used their own vocabularies and their styles but wrote only what the Holy Spirit intended. Now, let's get a little bit more deep. Let's get a little more skeptical. I think sometimes it's good to wrestle, right? It's good to wrestle with the Word of God. Listen to this. Is the Bible literal, or can it be interpreted differently by different people with different backgrounds? Again, I quote the Moody Bible Institute. This is good. Even though the Bible is God's revelation, it must still be interpreted Interpretation has to do with our reception and understanding of that which God revealed and recorded. Revelation is a divine act, but interpretation 
is a human responsibility. Divine inspiration guarantees the truthfulness of God's word, but not the accuracy of our interpretation. The Bible is infallible in all that it affirms to be true and therefore absolutely reliable. We, however, may be fallible in our interpretation of the Bible. This is huge. Because the word of God is perfect, but sometimes people's interpretation of it can be imperfect. The word of God is perfect, but sometimes people's interpretation of it can be imperfect. Do you guys remember the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert? If, you, if you're new to the Bible, I'll give you like a 20-second summary. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of the fasting, Scripture tells us that Satan came to tempt him. And we see this, this amazing, extraordinary scene take place. It's kind of Satan and Jesus going mano y mano. And what we see is that every time Satan tries to tempt Jesus, Jesus responds with what? The word of God. So Satan gets a little more clever. And Satan begins to use the word of God against Jesus. What do I mean by this? Scripture can sometimes be misinterpreted. It can sometimes be misinterpreted. Now, sometimes Scripture can also be descriptive, and it can be prescriptive. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We read in the Bible in Genesis that Esau, son of Abraham, married two Hittite women. Okay? It's simply telling us what he did. It doesn't tell me I can go out and find myself multiple wives. Okay? It's descriptive. It's simply telling us what happened. Other times, the Word of God is prescriptive. It has authority. It has power. It's telling us what to do. I'll give you another example. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's prescriptive. Now, let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16 again. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it says there that even though all Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for things in the church, it does not say how to teach with it. It does not say how to correct with it. It does not say how to train or how to rebuke. Those things are left up to humans. So sometimes we can get it wrong. I'll give you another example. Uh, there's a passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, says, let everything be done in decent order. Some have taken this out of context to say we shouldn't clap our hands in church or we shouldn't get out of our seats. We shouldn't raise our hands. Everything should be done in order. But if you read this in context, what it means is Paul is addressing uh, speaking in tongues in church. So scripture, I'm trying to say, can be misinterpreted, can be taken out of context. I love what discipleship.org has to say about this. 
This is the author of the article, and he's speaking in the first person. He says, well, if it's left up to me to come up with what it means, where's the rebuke? Where's the correction? Where's the instruction in righteousness? It then becomes subjective, which means I can then bend Scripture to my will as opposed to making my will bend to Scripture. That's good. Because sometimes humans get it wrong. I'll say one last thing about this. Sometimes even our own sin or imperfections can cause us to misinterpret the motivation behind someone giving Scripture to us. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we come into church and we have an opinion about something. We have an opinion about tithing. We have an opinion about how we should worship, how we should pray, how the teaching should be done. So when the elders or the pastors of the church try to give correction or rebuke, sometimes it's our own sin that misinterprets what they're actually saying. What do I mean by this? We have to remember that sometimes the scripture can and does offend us. Now catch that. Sometimes the scriptures and the word of God can offend us. Check this verse out. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Now here's where it starts to hurt. Listen. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. Does that sound very pleasant? Sometimes the word of God pierces. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's alive and active. It's crucial that when you are rebuked, corrected, offended, you're put off by someone's use of scripture, that you take it to the Lord in prayer, that you sit with it for some time. Seek counsel from other, go other godly people do the homework. Your opinionated bias does not supersede Scripture. I love this. Acts 17.11. We're not going to have it up here, but I'll just read it to you. Now the Berean Jews were more of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They did the homework themselves. They studied Scripture. That's so important. Sometimes I think we, we tend to think, well, if the pastor or the leader, they gave me this Scripture, you know, and they're trying to correct me, well, they're just wrong, you know, but we have to be careful with that. Because just because it hurts doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong. The Word of God is alive and it's active. It pierces, it penetrates. So the Word of God in our life is a, it's a substance. It's a tangible thing to behold. Now, how important is God's Word in relation to me living my everyday life? Well, according to a Christianity Today survey, they found that around 26 million people started reading the Bible less 
or stopped reading the Bible altogether during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I'm not saying 26 million people, 26 million Christians stopped reading the Bible during the COVID-19 pandemic. So, what became the result of that? Spiritual malnutrition. Spiritual malnutrition. And I'll be honest, guys, I fell into that trap. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, we were like, uh, that, that week, the week before, it was like March 8th or something, we said, hey, we're, we're going to buy a building. We're excited. We sang this wonderful song. It's like, you're not done yet. Like, it was like, you know, everybody was happy. And then it was like, the whole world, like, stopped. It was like every day something was coming up. And guess what I did? Got on the news. Man, I was eating up the news every day. Day and night, I was reading the news. And what I didn't realize is that my soul was badly malnourished. So, how important is God's word in relation to us in our lives? Well, the word of God is sustenance. The word of God is sustenance. What do I mean by that? Sustenance means, it's a noun, it means a person, place, or thing. It comes from a Latin word, sustenare, which actually means food. It means nourishment. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Here we see Jesus, he's, he's out in the desert, and it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see this paralleled in Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3. These are the words of Moses. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in these two passages, we come across this, this parallel that they're telling us that man needs something more than food alone. Now notice how it doesn't say man does not need bread. Man needs food. We need to eat. It simply says man does not live on food alone. Now think about the idea of food, right? How many of you have your favorite, you have a favorite cold weather comfort food? Could be soup, stew, whatever, tamales, be something delicious, right? We all have our favorite foods. Food is something we enjoy. However, food is something that you absolutely need to survive. Now, you're, you're looking at me, you're saying, well, duh, I eat every day, three times a day, sometimes five times a day, sometimes six times a day. But our ancestors, their whole day 
was revolved around getting food. That's all they did. They farmed or hunted. It was a part of their everyday life because if they didn't eat, they were going to die. Now, how long can you go without eating food? Does anybody know? Some scientists say you can go two to three months with no food and simply water. If you have no food and no water, you can simply go around seven days. So Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, on food alone, but lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let me ask you a question. How long can you go without spiritual food? How long can you go without spiritual food? Here's the tricky thing about spiritual food, spiritual sustenance. Many times we don't even know that we're spiritually hungry. Now think about this. If you didn't eat a meal today, you might feel it. If you didn't eat at all today, you would definitely feel it. If you didn't eat for a week, you would really feel it. If you didn't eat for a month physically, you might be in the hospital or dead. However, here's the tricky part. With spiritual malnourishment, we don't always see it. We go days, we go weeks, we go months, sometimes we go years without spiritual sustenance. If we're not attending church regularly, we're not in the Word of God, we may only eat spiritual food maybe once a week when we come to church, perhaps monthly or even yearly. But here's the reality. When you begin to neglect God's Word in your life, it unknowingly leads to malnourishment of your soul. It leads to a malnourishment of your soul. See, sometimes the neglecting of, of God's word in our life is kind of like a silent disease that begins to take its toll on us. I know firsthand, I, I struggle with high blood pressure. It's hereditary. And oftentimes, if I go to the doctor and she says, your numbers are high, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm doing great. Because I don't even feel it. And sometimes spiritual malnourishment can feel that way. So, how are you doing this morning? Are you malnourished? Do you feel it? Do you not feel it? Do others see it in your life? Well, here's the good news. God is always merciful. And every time we think we're we're, we're hungry, we're thirsty, what does he do? He invites us in. Come eat. Come drink. Come eat. Come drink. Come apply the word of God. So this leads me to my last question. How then do I apply the word of God? Well, if I begin to apply the word of God in my life, then I think the word of God is sustainable. The word of God is sustainable. Now, my friend Austin, he's a songwriter, and he wrote this song called Abide. And I want to share the, the, one of the verses with you. I think this is good. It says this, Day and night I will steep in your word. Planted by streams of living water, 
I will find my place in who you are. I love the imagery that Austin uses, and he actually takes it from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2, and I'll get to that in just a moment. I'll put that up here. But I love the word that he uses, steep. Steep. And it reminds me of this. Up here today, you see two pitchers of water. Now, the pitcher on the left, I put the T in there right before I started speaking. So it's been sitting there for, you know, roughly 35, 40 minutes. And what you begin to see is the longer this steeps in the water, what happens? It becomes tea. It no longer looks like water, but it looks like tea. See, the word of God is like that tea. And if I were to take two bags of tea and simply dip them in the water, quickly, what happens? Do you see any change? Now, if I leave the bags there, it will eventually change. But it takes minutes. It takes could take an hour. But if I dip this tea in there quickly, even if I submerge it, nothing happens. And I think sometimes with the Word of God, we try to rush through it. We don't allow it to steep in our lives. And just like that tea, the Word of God can either change us, or if we're just in it quickly for a minute here and there, maybe it's not having as much impact as we'd hoped. Now, Austin took the words of this song from Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Scriptures, who meditates on it day and night. I love what we see in Psalm 119. It, it mirrors this same message. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Scriptures, the law of the Lord. Blessed, blessed, the way of happiness, the way to joy are those who walk and they set and they steep with God. So, I know we're all human. We're inconsistent, aren't we? We're prone to wander. And this is not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of saying, look, you should be like this on, the, on this side. This is a message of invitation. God is saying, come, sit with me. So let's, let's get real practical as we begin to wrap up. I would say this. If there are any unbelievers or even skeptics in here or watching online, I, I would just ask you a question. Would you give the Bible a chance? Would you give the Bible five days? I'm going to get really practical with you. On, the, on your app store, if you have a smartphone, or even online, if you get the Bible app, on there, there's a five-day plan. It says how to study the Bible. It's five days. And I would say, if you would be open for five days, 
to going through that plan and reading through scripture and just simply asking God to reveal himself. That's one way to start. Now, if you're like me, if you're a believer, and maybe you're sporadically reading the Bible, you're reading it here and there when you can, I would implore you, get consistent. For years and years, I wanted to be a runner. I really wanted to run some 5Ks. And I tried. I would go out and I'd run like a half a mile. And then the next day, I'd try to run a mile. And then the next day, I'd try to run three miles. And guess what? I failed every time. Every time. Because I did not have a plan. And really, it wasn't until I, someone shared this with me. They said, you should download Couch to 5K. Because it's just a little bit at a time, every single day. It gets you in a consistent habit. And before you know it, weeks go by, and guess what? You're a runner. You're a runner. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Marco shared this. Um, on the Bible app, there's a plan called the Bible Recap. And it only takes literally about nine minutes of reading. In fact, I'll make it easier for you. If you don't have time to read, you can press play and you can have like Samuel L. Jackson read it to you. I saw somewhere like they have Snoop Dogg, like his voice, reading the Bible now. Psalm chapter one says this. I'm not joking, it's out there. But listen, stop making excuses. If you want to be nourished, you got to do something about it. All you got to do is get in your car and press play. And it reads about 10 minutes. And then here's the cool part. On the Bible recap, there's a podcast where uh, there's, a, there's a woman who explains what you just read. It's amazing. I learned something new every single day. And before you know it, you've read the entire Bible in a year. A little bit each day. Now, here's some practical. I'm going to get even more practical. Some of us say, I just can't do it. I don't have time. I can't wake up. Let me just give you some practical tips from my own life that I found helpful. If you have trouble reading the Bible, set an alarm clock. Your smartphone will remind you of so many things. Monday through Friday, I set it for just, you know, like a half an hour or an hour before my kids get up. And I go downstairs and I just do the Bible recap. Number two, couple it with a couple of your Bible habit with something you enjoy. For me, it's coffee. For some guys I know, they smoke a cigar with it. I'm not judging. Couple it with something that you enjoy. Number three, give yourself time. It takes time to form a habit. It doesn't take two to three days. It takes two to three weeks. Once you do it, it's second nature. Number four, be strategic. Don't just open the Bible and start reading. Take advantage of a Bible plan. Get in community with other believers. Number five, if you miss your morning time, then do it at a different time of the day. That's all it is. Don't beat yourself up. God is good. He's merciful. He says, come. He doesn't say you have to come to me at 6 a.m. 
He simply says, come, all who are thirsty. Come, drink, eat. And lastly, maybe you're a believer in here, and man, you're, you're consistent. You're, you are incredibly consistent with the Bible. My question for you is, are you letting it shape your life? I love what James 1, 22 through 25 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. For anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the word, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. But by doing it, they will be blessed. So, where are you this morning? Are you spiritually malnourished today? So in closing, let me just recap what we talked about. What is the Word of God? The Word of God is a substance. It's inspired God-breathed scriptures. You can behold it. The Word of God is sustenance. It is nourishment for our souls. And the Word of God is sustainable. When we read it and we apply it, it sustains us. It changes us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your Word, which just, it gives so much life. It gives so much freedom. God, your Word transforms us, even just a little bit each day can change us. God, help us to be doers of your word. Help us to help us to get into your word. Those that have never been in the Bible before, help them just to come and get nourished with you. Scott, so we thank you for your word. We thank you that you inspired people to put your words down and that your word continues to move and be alive and active. It's in Jesus' name, amen.